During Lent, we're reflecting on the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And as you look here at this uh, map of Jerusalem, I don't know if you can see it, it's so small from where you are. The Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples happened there on the, the left-hand side in the city of David. Then afterwards, at about half past eleven at night, Jesus and the disciples moved down to the Garden of Gethsemane, where they prayed. Probably till about um, half past one in the morning, when a group of soldiers came to arrest Jesus and take him to be tried by the Sanhedrin. You will remember that somebody tried to defend him, cutting off the ear of one of the guards sent to arrest Jesus. But Jesus healed the man's ear and chose to go peacefully. Remember that all the disciples fled. Mark gives us a strange detail that one young man fled so quickly that he left his clothes behind him when a guard tried to grab him. And Peter, as much as we remember him for for falling asleep uh, while he was praying and denying Jesus three times, was the only disciple who had the courage to follow Jesus all the way to the house of Caiaphas. In Jerusalem, there's a, a, a route that people walk, which is the traditional route from the Garden of Gethsemane up to the traditional site uh, where Caiaphas had his palace. At uh, where my remote's not working very well up in the top there where he was condemned by the righteous. And so from the Garden of Gethsemane, you look up towards the temple and see uh, in the background there, in between the trees, that's the temple, and that's the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was arrested and taken up to the palace of Caiaphas. This is supposed to go a little quicker. That's the route they followed. I invite you to watch this video by the Reverend Adam Hamilton as he reflects on that walk up the hill. The house to which Jesus was taken was quite impressive, according to some models based on the archaeology of the site. Took up that whole area, the palace of Caiaphas. We can imagine Peter in one of those courtyards as he waited for the outcome of the trial, warming himself by one of the fires. The house of Caiaphas was was one of the biggest dwellings in Jerusalem and the seat of religious authority. You'll remember that religion was very powerful. If you look at that temple, it's the most ginormous building you could imagine. And religion was big business in Jerusalem. It was partly out of a kind of superstition. Political authorities believed in many gods. They believed that by investing in their temples, they could win their favor and so win battles. Remember that Herod, who was responsible for sponsoring this great big temple, also built other temples to other gods. Partly superstition and partly control. Because whoever controlled the temple controlled the Jewish people. And this high priest, Caiaphas, was not a high priest according to scriptures. He was a high priest appointed by the Romans to guard their interests. So as we look at this great big model, we can imagine Jesus coming up 
against a powerful religious system that exists not really to glorify God, but to control people. Jesus was arrested sometime in the night, but probably held until the early hours of the morning. Today, on the site of uh, Caiaphas's palace, there stands a church called St. Peter in Gallicanto. And Gallicanto comes from the Latin, I'm told, which means the cock crowed. Archaeologists, when building uh, this chapel and other chapels before it, found beneath the chapel some cisterns, caves dug under the ground. And uh, if you remember, Jeremiah was put into a cistern in the ground as a prisoner. It's quite possible that if Jesus was arrested at half past one, the Sanhedrin, one, one of the Gospels says they met in the morning, Sanhedrin probably held him there in that prison until the night. So under St. Peter and Gallicanto, they found this cistern, and there's a hole there through which Jesus was probably lowered and held captive inside the cistern. And on one of the mosaics outside shows a picture of how they would have maybe tied ropes around him and dropped him into that cistern. So here is God, the holiest of holies, the one whom we sing about, not being recognized by the powers that be as he is dropped possibly into a cistern underneath the ground. And that's where I find identification with that psalm that we, that we read this morning. When at night I cry out in your presence, let my prayer come before you. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead. As if Jesus was perhaps buried in a grave before he was even dead. As we read about the trial before the Sanhedrin, we become aware of such gross injustice. Matthew writes, Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They were looking for a reason to get rid of him. And we should be shocked by this kind of corruption, shouldn't we? When power abuses power to abuse other people. When we hear that people entrusted with authority to guard the religion of Israel were so immoral. Actually looking for false testimony against Jesus. Actually looking for a reason not to listen to what he had said. It should shock us, but it doesn't. Because our senses are dulled to corruption, aren't they? We become complicit in this corruption as we become part of a corrupt system. As governments and nations take advantage of other people. As businesses take advantage of people. As we also, in our own hearts, sometimes guilty of corruption on a small scale. As we take advantage of those around us. But if their corruption doesn't shock us, doesn't their blindness too? This Jesus is who we believe is the, the Son of God. These people, the Sanhedrin, this Jewish council, are the people appointed to, to listen for God's voice 
and to hear God when God speaks. But they are so caught up in their own affairs that they fail to recognize God even when He stands there right in front of them. And we're inclined, I think, to, to begin judging this council that meets to condemn Jesus. We say, how can you be so blind and how can you be so corrupt? But I think Jesus, even standing there in front of them, would say to us, before you start looking for splinters in other people's eyes, what about the logs in your own eyes? How often do we fail to recognize Jesus? Or sometimes, upon recognizing him, choose actively to ignore him. To reject his voice, his intentions, because of our own fear. When we are confronted with a living God, a God who speaks and challenges us, don't we get afraid? You see, what's nice about the religion that the Sanhedrin was controlling was that it was kind of like a religion of the past. You could shut God up in a book and say, this is what God did in the past. But he doesn't speak so much now anymore. But when Jesus stands up and starts to speak, you realize that you can't lock God up in a temple. You can't confine this God to history. You can't shut him in a book. He is a God who speaks today and now. He continues to challenge us. And I imagine that we would have probably acted just like the Sanhedrin did in that day. We don't want to be confronted by a living God, one that jumps in the car with us when we drive to work and, and gets out and walks into the, into the office with us, one that's standing there even in our darkest moments, in our family life and our personal lives, one who knows us and speaks to us. As we think about these people in the Sanhedrin, there were about 70 of them. And I don't think all of them were corrupt. I think there were probably some people who stood there thinking, should I say something about what's going on here? But as they thought about saying something, they realized that, that if they said something, their houses and their power and their authority in the community would probably be taken away. They would probably end up being accused of being disciples of Jesus, just like Peter was outside in the courtyard, fearing for his life, he denied Jesus three times. I'm sure that some of these people wished they had the courage to speak up, to say something about what was going on. I wonder how often we also keep quiet when we should speak up. But in the story of Peter, we find hope. Outside the, the, the chapel at St. Peter in Gallicanto, there's this statue that helps us to imagine what was happening. There's Peter sitting in the middle and the servant girl saying, aren't you the one? But even in Peter's denial, we find strange hope. Because Peter's denial leaves Jesus totally alone. 
after Jesus has risen, he reconciles Peter to himself. And even as we do our worst, as religious powers and political authorities do their worst to Jesus, none of it keeps him sealed in a grave. The living God lives again, rises again. But the hope that we have, I think, as I'm reading through this last 24 hours of Jesus' life, is you realize that Jesus does all of this alone. So often we try to save ourselves, don't we? We try to sort of get into heaven on our own merits. We try to win favor with God because we're such good people or because we pray so much or because we manage to stay awake, not like the disciples, or we speak up. But despite our betrayal, despite our denial, God's grace carries on. The living God continues to love us. And so, as the Sanhedrin tries Jesus, and they ask him to say something for himself, are you not the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? We hear Jesus quoting from Daniel chapter 7. I am, he says, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That yes, Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And indeed, this Jesus, who is so merciful and gracious towards us, has to go and die on a cross for us, even when we deny him, betray him, even when we ourselves are responsible in some way for torturing him. This is the one who will judge the heavens and the earth, reconcile us and renew us. A powerful lesson is coming through. God's love for us cannot be broken, cannot be ended, cannot be stopped. Even though we fail him, even though we know that so often we should speak up against injustice, even though we know that we should pray more and stay awake rather than falling asleep or whatever it is, even though by now this is the third week of Lent, I'm sure you've been tempted out of your your Lenten commitments once or twice. It's not in our own power that we win God's grace. It is only through God's grace that God offers himself to us. So next week we reflect further on Jesus' last 24 hours. As soon as it was morning, we read, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate.